0: Welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH
1: Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP Success Factors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today we're joined by Leah Pitzenberger. She's the vice president of people strategy and experience for the Minnesota Wild, the NHL hockey team. She's been there for three seasons. And prior to joining The Wild, she spent two years as the global head of human resources and people operations at Huddle. She was responsible for building Huddle's talent strategy as an innovative and leading global employer in the competitive tech market while supporting the business's hyper growth. She has an undergraduate degree in psychology from Thomas Adolphus College and a master's degree in psychology from the University of St. Thomas. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. All right, Leah, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So we uh, we told everybody a little bit about your bio in the beginning, but it's always an easy way of starting. Can you tell the listeners kind of where you came from, what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, happy to. So I'm Leah Pitsenberger. I'm the Vice President of People Strategy and Experience here at the Minnesota Wild. I have been here, we speak in seasons here. So this is my third season, but really I've only been here just shy of two years. Uh, I had the joy of starting in this role about 60 days before COVID hit. And so it's been a wild ride, pun Mm -hmm. intended. (laughs) So before joining the Wild, I spent a couple years at a global tech company called Huddle. It's in the uh, sports industry and is operates in 20 different countries. And so I just had a really amazing experience kind of learning what it was like to work for a global company in the tech space and hyper growth, getting big fast. And so I did that for a couple of years, but the majority of my experience was at Target. So Target headquarters uh, locally to the Twin Cities, various kind of HR roles. The last six or so years I spent in our supply chain business when Amazon kind of came onto the scene and was kicking our butts and we had to figure out uh, what transformation was going to look like for the supply chain. And so really cool opportunity to kind of learn about change and learn about how to bring people kind of through a change curve, how to think differently about business operations, about structure, about organizational design, you name it, it was on the table. So really cool experience. And then if I'm walking backwards, Before that, I actually went to school to be a therapist. And so I got my master's degree in psychology, thought that I was going to be a therapist, and then realized that was not a good path for me. Of course, after all of the schooling and much my parents' chagrin at the time, made the leap over into HR. And then personally, I live uh, just west of the Twin Cities in a really small little town called Loretto. We live the lake life here, so live on Lake Sarah. I am married to amazing guy, and I have two little dudes that keep me crazy busy. So Grady is uh, eight and a half, going on fifteen, and Bodie yep. is five and a half, going on fifteen. And so we are super busy, but also incredibly blessed. That's very, for sure.
1: Very cool. Well, I'm, I'm super excited because uh, the Wild are my favorite team ever. asked my wife; I watch every game, every minute, even when they're up ten nothing or down. And it's funny, I actually went to school for psychology as well. I was gonna do um, be a psychiatrist, and uh, at least for me to, to keep going in school was way harder. So I ended up in sales. So <laughs> but um, I, I do wanna start with the Minnesota Wild and just the the brand name. I, I would imagine that there are similarities between an HR department at Target or any other company and the Minnesota Wild, but there's gotta also, there has to be some differences also that go along with being part of a professional sports organization and and kind of being in that public eye at all times?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I always like to say that we are a very small organization with a giant spotlight on us. So I think from the outside looking in, you know, a professional sports organization because of the reach that we have both in the media um but then also when you think about the state of hockey and the fact that we get to operate um in in the state of hockey um the number of fans that we have that show up at the x for games um but when you look at and, and you break down the actual organization we we are not a large organization i would say we're on the small to midsize um when you factor in you know both our full-time staff as well as um our part-time staff uh, the other thing that we do that I think is really unique and was kind of new for me when I joined the wild and I didn't realize is uh, just the, the breadth of our organization. And so we're, we are a hockey team, of course, that's what everyone knows We're the Minnesota wild. Uh, but we also uh, run the X. And so the Excel energy center, all of the staff in it, every uh, event that is hosted in the Excel energy center is, is ours. So all of the concerts, all of the events um, we also run, the St. Paul River Center for the city of St. Paul. So if you've ever been to a conference in the River Center, you've interacted with our awesome employees. Uh, We run TRIA Rink, um, which is where it's really our practice facility, but we also rent out ice time there. We have the Iowa Wild, which is our AHL um, hockey team that operates in Des Moines, Iowa. And then we have a restaurant, Herbie's on the Park. And so it is um when i think about like what was different or unexpected for me working at an organization that is this size was surprising to me you know i i, I came from target uh which had you know the the area i supported was 25,000 people and now we're more in the 2000 mm-hmm. uh range and so it is incredibly uh cool because you get an opportunity to know the people that you're working with every single day. So from an HR uh, experience as an HR executive, um, you know, right before getting on with you guys, I was in a chat session. And so every Wednesday I host chat sessions um, where we invite our employees uh, to come and we ask three questions. The first question is, um, what are we doing really well? The second is, what's something we can do better? And the third is, um, what else is on your mind? And that's it. Those are the three questions. And I do them every single Wednesday. And those are things that, you know, when I was at the larger kind of organization, it's harder to navigate that because you just can't get to everyone here. I can get to everyone Mm -hmm. in a year. If I do it every single Wednesday, I can get to everyone. I can hear everyone's voice Um, and it dramatically impacts. I think how we all show up at work on my team, but then also the feedback that I can provide to the leaders and how we can um, really interact um, and create and curate an experience for our employees versus kind of me sitting in my office coming up with ideas and then launching them. Yeah. I think the second thing that that I think is really unique, um, and this is related to being at The Wild, and it was a bit of a surprise to me. And I suppose if I look back on it, maybe I would have thought about this if I'd spent a little more time thinking about it in advance, is we are a really public brand. And so when you're making decisions internally, they aren't just internal decisions because there's a, a decent chance they might end up on the news. Um, you know, so for instance, when we were in the pandemic and we had to furlough a number of folks, it was a consideration related to, you know, what what is the, the news cycle going to be? What do we want to communicate to our employees? Because we have to assume that at some point that's going to get out. And it isn't about public relations. But it's more about ensuring that that is part of the thought process when we're making decisions, because, you know, who we are isn't just the experience that we're creating for our employees. It's the experience that we're creating for our fans. It's the experience that you get when you log into our Twitter account. It's the experience that you get when we send our employees out to a volunteer event and people are interacting with them. We represent the wild in everything that we do, and we're never really off the clock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is, for me, it was really different. I felt like with my previous couple of experiences, both at Target and at Huddle, I didn't always feel like we were, I was representing the brand. You know, people ask me, all the time, if we're gonna, you know, sign a certain player, they have an opinion about our business, in a, in a, and they're invested in a really different way. And so, I think that really impacts how you show up as a as a leader here, but also as an employee. Mm-hmm. So, I think those are a couple of the new things. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah,
1: ab- absolutely. And I, I do want to talk about some of the work that you did when you first when you first got there but as you were talking another question came to mind and that is you're not just the wild you have all these other organizations how do you maintain a culture throughout all of those different areas and are they are they different or are you, do you try to put them all together
2: oh, that's such a good question so i think in any organization right you have these like m- interesting microcultures that are created by uh, the managers, not just by the businesses that they're operating, but by the managers, the leaders of those functions or those areas. And so one of the things that um, really is a challenge in an organization like this is proximity um, because we are spread out. We have a campus, but we're all kind of in different spots. Number two, schedules. So our schedules, we don't have a staff that just works nine to five, right? Like Sometimes we're working evenings, sometimes we're working weekends, sometimes we're working nine to five. Um, and then the third really is communication, right? And so this piece of it is it is an intentional choice to have to communicate across those locations and through those managers. And so we've started in the last couple of years, and I think COVID was something that kind of shown a magnifying glass on the fact that we had these kind of micro cultures throughout and so we really have focused throughout COVID and now coming out even more so as we are gearing back up towards having 18,000 people walk through the door this season, is really thinking about creating more consistency and collaboration and, quite frankly, communication. And so I think that, you know, when I think about kind of the cultural pieces, I would say two years ago, yes. Uh, now I think we we have a very different experience. We have refreshed our values. We are aligned in our values now. You know, I was in an interview uh, interviewing somebody a couple weeks ago, and I was with our president Matt Meka, our CFO, and myself. It was the three of us interviewing this person. And, It was so funny, we have these organizational imperatives, things that we're really focused on as an organization coming out of COVID. And the question that she asked was, Hey, I, you know, I'm curious, can you dive more into this one um organizational imperative, which was called accelerated growth? And she's like, I'm sure you each have a different answer for that. And we kind of laughed and looked at each other and we were like, nope, we have the exact same answer. Mm -hmm. And it's because we spent a lot of time during COVID, really curating and thinking and being consistent and aligned about where we're going to go next. Mm -hmm. And so two years ago, yes, I think we had a bunch of different cultures. Now, as we're rebuilding, I think the focus is on creating one culture, and it might look a little bit different based on your role or how you experience it. Um, We want to leave enough flexibility so that managers can have their own kind of spice in their, their team. Um, But the things that really matter, we are dead set focused and aligned on. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that's going to be really different.
0: On that note, Leah, I'm curious, are many of your employees seasonal? So technically speaking, no, but
2: logistically speaking, yes. So technically speaking, no, because they're working more than, you know, what, 90 days. But yes, I would say a lot of our part-timers are in the variable bucket, and so they're game day staff. And so they they still work in the summer, but it's a lot fewer uh, because we don't have the hockey season going in the summer. But we do still have events. On a normal summer, the last year and a half or so has been a little bit different, but normally we do still have some events in the summer that they get scheduled for, but the season for them, which for us is the beginning of October through, hey, hopefully the end of May, right? If we're in the playoffs, somewhere in that time frame is much, much busier and they're working a
0: lot more hours. Can you talk just a little bit about culture specific to that kind of employee base and how you... Not only culture, but I assume too, you're working not very different from other organizations, but a little different in that those employees may leave for a period of time and you want to keep them engaged and excited about the work that they're doing for your organization so that when you're ramping back up again, that likely you can tap them on the shoulder and bring them back to the organization. Yeah. So
2: I feel like I do very little. To help here. And here's why. Those staff, I introduce myself, they get videos from me. I attend every single game, every single event. I walk the floor, I talk to them, right? But at the end of the day, the culture and their experience is whether or not they have an amazing lead or supervisor or manager. And so we have, and this is one thing that I'm incredibly proud of that I had nothing to do with, which is the retention in our organization, both our full-time staff and our part-time staff. But speaking specifically about our part-time staff, like people want to work for us. They come back season after season after season. I think it helps that you kind of get summers off if you're working for us. Like that's a good time in the state of hockey in Minnesota, right? To have time off is in the summer. So that helps, but I really think it's because we are incredibly thoughtful and particular about our frontline managers. And we think we, you know, we just hired a couple new, um, we call them guest experience managers. So they're the folks that the, a good number of our part-time staff report into. And we're not just assessing, like, can you do the job? We're assessing what kind of an experience are you going to create for your employees? What kind of energy and excitement are you going to bring to the team? And, you know, how do you... Uh, stack up against the things that we value, our values. So our interview process assesses for values. And it isn't so much, you know, do you fit in our culture because one of our values is dare to be different. And so we want people that are going to bring different perspectives and ideas and, you know, bring diversity of experience and thought to our table amongst other things, but it really is, are you going to show up and live our values every single day? And we believe at their core that our values are what create an amazing experience for our fans, the guests that come into the river center, into Herbie's on the park or tree rink and, and, and in Iowa, and then also for our employees that show up. I think that all of those pieces and components are what get, get our staff to come back year after year after year. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you just expand on that just a little bit more? Because I know that we have a lot of listeners who maybe work in the restaurant industry or you know, other kind of seasonal industries where this is a really hot topic. Could you just dive in maybe a layer or two deeper just to help those listeners understand maybe what you guys are doing there and if there's a secret sauce that they can kind of take back to their organization and apply, apply that as well?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I I feel like in human resources and a lot of times in business, even in my opinion, we make things way too complex. Uh, We process things, we put policies and procedures and handbooks and don't get me wrong, I get it. Handbooks are really important. We have to have them, right? We have to have policies, we have to have procedures. But at the end of the day, it's about people. And so that, when I think about, you know, what is the secret sauce here? I think we ground everything we do in people. And that isn't just our employees, right? That is our fans and our guests. Um, So Herbie's, you know, the folks that are coming into the restaurant. One of our, another one of our core values is service first. So we are really focused. and, and, And I don't just mean we talk the talk on this. We will walk the walk. And I can give you a couple examples of that. Uh, of ensuring that service is the first thing that we're thinking about every time we interact with someone. And service first to us isn't just about providing service to a fan. We serve each other. So we serve the, we kind of have a number of different components. We serve the organization. So that's really about making decisions that are best for the organization, even if it means taking a back seat sometimes. We serve each other. So that's about being a great coworker, a great peer, a great mentor, a great friend. We serve our fans and our guests, and then we also serve our organization. You know, volunteerism and service is at the heart of who this or who we are, right? And so we go out and, for instance, next week I'm you know helping with a program called Little Wild. We're doing a habitat for humanity build. Um, so like we're out in the community, and that's our presence. And so this service component piece really is about putting people at the center of every decision. And when you do that, it gets a little scary because you have to trust, right? You have to let go of a little bit of control. And sometimes that doesn't work out. Sometimes we have decisions that are made maybe by a frontline staff that, ooh, I don't know if I would have made that, right? But we'll take that because the times that it does work out far exceed the times that it doesn't and the impact that those times have is insane and it's little things like if we've got some extra seats down front during a game and we're we have a usher that's up on you know the second the 200 level and there's a kid up there it's his first wild game you know in the second period we might you know, through the walkie, be able to take that person and his family and say, Hey, we've got some seats that are much, you know, down closer to the glass. Would you love to go down there for your first wild game? And we give the autonomy to our guest experience staff to make that decision. They don't need to come to me or to go to, you know, the director or the general manager of the arena to say, Hey, I want to make this call. They have the autonomy to say, this is, this is the right thing to do for the guests it's going to create an amazing memory and that's what we're about, right? And so I think sometimes we overlook just how far some of those little things might go. I think about in a restaurant, like an extra dessert or a, a little surprise and delight of some sort. Hey, we didn't think we had room on the patio, but you know we were able to get you in on the patio. Those sorts of things in isolation seem small. But when you have an entire team of people that know that they have the power and the autonomy to do those little things, all of a sudden it becomes something really, really big. And honestly, in my opinion, something quite magical.
1: Mm -hmm. It's that autonomy. I think that that really does it. It's it's frontline people. It's their idea. They do it right. It it makes them feel good as well. You know, it sounds like you remove barriers to do good (laughs) essentially is yeah what I heard there Um, and it's
2: scary right like mm -hmm. and I'm not saying it goes it goes right every time it doesn't but I would much rather manage the few times where you're like I don't know if I would have done that again or hey maybe that's not with the spirit of what we're hoping for I'd much rather manage that and have those conversations when they pop up if they pop up which Mm -hmm. honestly because we've been doing this for quite some time are few and far between you know but more so I think when when this first started and I wasn't even here but I would much rather have those conversations and help people on the right path than just avoid it altogether.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know we have a lot more we want to talk about. So I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but I just have one more follow-up question before we move on because you had talked about the interview and selection process and really getting at the values. And in my experience you know, in talent acquisition and as an HR business partner, and I'm sure Leah, you've had this experience too, some of those competencies or soft skills are sometimes the hardest pieces to get at in an interview and when you're going through the selection process of who might be the best fit for a particular position. So can you just talk a little bit about what you guys are doing from that you know, selection and interview process that you feel has been helpful in selecting employees that are gonna fulfill all of the things that you just spoke to Mike and I about. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things that we do. So we do have standard
2: interview guides. So interview guides that we've created in-house that ask behavior-based questions around our four values. So, you know, we are proud of the values that we've aligned on. They are new to us in the last year. Um, we said coming out of COVID, we wanted to really be open and honest and transparent about what, 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 what was going well and what we need to do differently and reassessing and reevaluating and refreshing the values was one of those things. So along with that, we built new interview guides that, that we say, like, this is a value of ours. Right. So service versus a value of ours. Can you tell us about a time that you went above and beyond? Right. And how did you think about that? Why did you go above and beyond? So we're, you know, a bit less concerned about tell us the, you know, situation, action, results. Right. But more like, why did you do that? What prompted you to go above and beyond? Right. And what was the outcome? So for us, it is less about assessing the more formal aspects of can this person answer this question and more getting to the thinking or the thought process or the motivation to assess, you know, is this person's kind of um, way of thinking in alignment with us? Does does going above and beyond come naturally to them or is it something and and. It's okay if it doesn't come naturally. I'm not saying we wouldn't hire somebody for that, but we are looking for people who can get in the service mindset, right? Who can think from a service first perspective. And so that's really what we're assessing. So I think for us, we're trying to kind of get behind it. The second thing that we do for a number of our roles, we do not do this for our part-time roles, but for a lot of our full-time roles that we're hiring is we have a project phase. And so in our project phase, you kind of, our process is you do a phone screen with our recruiter, then you do a hiring manager phone screen, essentially. Um, And then oftentimes you go into a project phase and the project phase is not pass or fail, but instead it is a real life situation. So it's a, you know, hey, this is, you know, a real life problem that we're trying to solve in this role. And so you then, we ask them to come up and present a solution, right? So tell us what you would do in this situation. And, you know, depending on the job, it might be designing something. It might be writing something. It might be putting together an action plan or a project plan, right? And then we don't ask them to present it, per se, but we, they, we have them send it over. The final round of interviews, then, um, that becomes the input. And so, again, instead of talking about the work product, we have an opportunity to see the work product, right? But we spend all of our time then assessing, how did you approach the problem? And what we're looking for is, are they demonstrating in their approach to solving this problem? Are they demonstrating our values? And we're assessing, you know, did they have kind of some grit and tenacity? Where did you get stuck? And what did you do? How did you get over that hump, right? What was the hardest part about this project, Um, and why do you think that was so trick, that part was so tricky for you? And we're, you know, assessing their ability to be different and innovate, right? So it is for us, it's been really interesting. I still think we're in the, we're at a beta, I would say, but we're still in the test and learn because it's something that's different. It's something that, um, we haven't done before, um, but, but we really are focused less on You know, what are what is your answer and more how did you get there? And in the how did you get there, are you being drawn to our four values or the behaviors that you're exhibiting,
0: demonstrating that these values come naturally to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for spending a little bit of time digging in deeper to that. And I also think a good takeaway, especially in this labor market right now, where a lot of us are experiencing less applicants than we have historically, and um, just a lot more competition for, you know, similarly situated talent, that it's still important to slow the process down and to be really specific about what's important to your organization and move swiftly, you know, in a way where you're not losing strong applicants for your roles, but also to be really thoughtful about what you need and being true to that through the, the interview and selection process. So thank you for those examples. Can I just add one other thing? Like, so one other yeah. thing
2: related to that is I'm finding that when when we are making these kind of intentional steps, if we're making our recruiting process a bit more interesting than just conversation after conversation after conversation, we're hooking people a little bit harder. They're They're sticking with us because they're like hey I want to why are we doing a project like what is going to happen after this like I want to see what happens there and also we're giving them a realistic job preview in the process right mm-hmm. like they're getting a sense of what the work will be and we're finding that that in a lot of cases when we put the project together right that's exciting them and they're they're like oh I really am loving what you guys are doing and I want to know more because they're probably getting off the phone with, you know, three rounds of interviews that they've had down the road. And it's like, Oh, I can, I'm kind of tired of talking about the same old things. So yeah. I will say it's been really fun to try. And, you know, it, there are times where again, where it works out really well. And there are times where I was like, Ooh, that wasn't the greatest project. We got to do better next time. Right.
1: right. Well, it's interesting. We kind of started from the results and I kind of want to work backwards. Cause one of the things that you'd mentioned a couple stories back is when you interviewed somebody and they, they thought you would have three different answers and you said not anymore. And so I do want to go back to when you would have three different answers. I, I read an article that you were in recently and you shared that when you first got there, you had to strip things back down to the foundation, you know, who we are, what do we do? And then most importantly, like who they, who the wild need to be moving forward. And I imagine that some of that was figuring out your values and your mission and some of the things you've described so far. So can you go back and talk about the experience of kind of stripping things down right to the studs? And then since we already talked about the outcomes, like talk about how you got to the place where you're so comfortable now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, like a lot of organizations, we were completely decimated by the pandemic. So when you think about our bread and butter, like what what do we what did the wild do? Well, we gathered thousands and thousands and thousands of people together to hang out, have a good time, drink and scream. Uh, and so that went away very, very quickly uh, once COVID kind of hit the world. And so it was one of the first things to stop was gathering people. Concerts were canceled, hockey games were canceled. Um, and we had to send everyone home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it gave us, it was a, a for sure a wake up call, right? How reliable and dependent we are on that one source of um, focus and income. But then it gave us, you know, um, wanted or unwanted some time to really think about who do we need to be coming out of the pandemic? You know, we've had, you know, at the time a year, 15 months, let's say, before we were kind of starting to think about what this next season was going to look like. Um, And, and so we really thought about and, and challenged ourselves to say, you know, we can't just be who we were anymore. We have to be something different. And so it really was uh, a, a challenge and a focus of the executive team to set a clearer vision for what do we, what do we believe we need to do differently? Uh, so for us, uh, we started with kind of who we are um, and then what our our vision or our mission statement is. Um, but before that, we sent out a survey. So we actually sent out a cultural analysis survey to our all of our existing staff. And we said, hey, like this is who we've always been. We know we need to be different. We want to know what you like about our current vision, our current mission, uh, what you don't like, what do you think of our existing values? And the question related to our values wasn't like, what do you think of them or what do you like them or not like them? But we asked one question, do you like them or not like them? But then also, do you think they accurately represent who we are? Like, are you showing up every day representing that value? Or is our culture, has our culture moved and yet the language on our one pager hasn't moved? Um, And we were really clear. We don't want our values to be something on a wall. They should be lived and they should be a good representation of who we are today, balanced with who we need to be in the future. Mm -hmm. Right. Some aspiration, but a lot of realism too.
1: Did the, Uh, did the pandemic really quickly, did the pandemic accelerate this conversation or was it the cause of this conversation? And I'm wondering if you know, were these things that should have been dealt with or, you know, maybe it's just we're in a rhythm, we're in season and we're doing all these things and the pandemic gave us time to stop and reflect.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think the latter, yeah. right? Like, I okay. think it kind of shown a magnifying glass on it. Like, I, sure. I think this was work that was going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: think that the direction that the work went was dramatically impacted based on the pandemic. Like, I think our values might've landed somewhere else if the pandemic had never hit. I I think it's hard for me to say, but that's my gut. My gut tells me they might be a bit different. Like maybe we would have been a little less brave to, to put dare to be different as a value. I also think we can't ignore some of the, the social things that happened uh, in our, you know, in our market specifically with Mm -hmm. George Floyd and the trial. And I mean, you name it, the, the civil unrest. And so I think that also played a significant role in where we landed. And I think it should have, right? Like I think it is it, it as an organization that has a, a public presence, like I think we needed to be a bit more bold and a bit more brave um, in our values, both internally and externally. I think we we did that. I think we have yeah. done that.
1: Do you recommend it's really interesting just hearing you talk about it? Do you recommend companies reevaluate these things and and again, I'm, I'm not, you know, Jess is in HR. She, you know, I don't know if she would ask this question maybe it's obvious, <laughs> but is this something you should reevaluate based on what's going on in the world around you um, every so often? Or, you know, I've, I've been at companies where it's like, we've had, you know, it's been this way and it's, it's been our credo for 80 years and we live by it. And I understand that, but yeah. is, it sounds like you've created an organization that's fairly fluid and dynamic where it's okay to try things. It's okay to fail. And I'm wondering if that leads to every so often, do you stop and reevaluate your mission and your values and things of that nature?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think ideally, yes, I think that's easier said than done, right? right? So like, I'm thinking about, okay, if I was listening to this podcast, I might be like, yeah, right. Like, of course you want to, but you know, reevaluating your values and changing all of the collateral. And then you start to think about, and Jess, maybe this is where your head was going. You're thinking about performance reviews and all of the other things that values touch. It is, it isn't as simple as like they are fluid and every year we evolve them. Uh the other component I think is like you want them to be strong enough that they withstand a test of time. Now I think COVID you know, really spun everybody's head around the other way. Right. And so I think that's a great opportunity for, you know, for an organization like us to be like, Hey, we do need to reevaluate them because we have to be different. Right. And so I think there's two ways to kind of approach it. One way would be that when there are triggers in the industry or in the market or in the community, it is a good litmus test. Like, let me test what is happening against our values and do we need to do something with them? So one would be a trigger an event that kind of gets you to look at them. But I think, you know, what we've said with these values is we want them to withstand the test of time, but probably not 10 years. Mm
1: -hmm. If one of
2: our core values is dare to be different, we probably have to be willing to like shine a light on our values and say, Hey, maybe these aren't working. So I would expect that every three to four to five years, three to five years, let's call it, we'll push out a survey. And, and for me, it really is, you know, part of it is, strategic and us making sure that that the values are driving us, you know, driving the car in the right direction. Like we need to head east or west, mm-hmm. but then allowing enough flexibility for our employees to say, we're going to take this road or that road, right? Sure. We're going to head east, but we're going to go the north route, or we're going to head east and go the south route. And so that's the balance, I think. So when I think about reevaluating, it might be that our strategy changes, And so we need to evaluate the values or it might be that our employees are telling us, Hey, this one doesn't represent us. And then I would ask a lot of questions around why is it because we're not reinforcing the values? Is it because something has changed and we need to change the value because just because it's not showing up, doesn't mean you've got the wrong value. Right. We might not have the right recognition. We might not have the right leaders, In place, we might not have the right performance metrics because these are woven into our performance management. So we're assessing, we don't just hire for them, we assess against them as well. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of surround.
1: Yeah. Well, and even though the pandemic feels like it's been going on for 10 years, that it's still (laughs) to change all the things that you described is still a lot of work. I'm curious how the rollout to to all the employees, like how do you relay this this message of change internally and make sure that everybody's on on the same page.
2: Yeah. I don't think we've done a great job of that if I'm being completely right. <laughs> so I think we, I think we have a lot of work to do there. Yeah. yeah. I think we have a lot of work to do there. Um, I think that we did a really good job. Uh, I think if you asked our employees, they would say, yeah, they did a good job of listening to us and representing their view in our new refresh. Mm-hmm. I think where we haven't done a great job and we need to do better is um embedding them in a deeper way into every single day. And I think, you know, so we have four values. Two of them, you know, and I talked about values should be a good representation of today but then also tomorrow. Um two of them I think are ones that like just come really really naturally to us. Put service first is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um and then another value of ours is big hearts, small egos. And so that is really, again, comes from like the service mindset, but it's really about humility and care and concern. Uh, and it, it is woven into the DNA. The two that uh, are new to us are dare to be different and a will to win. And so I think we have a lot of competitive people, but the will to win is more about grit and tenacity and resiliency. And mm-hmm. those ones are ones that we have farther to go. And so I think we've done a good job of getting the right behaviors underneath that because once we had the values, we then sent out and asked the employees to say, okay, we want three behaviors under each value, two to three. And then we asked them, we want these values now to represent you. So tell us what behaviors you feel like represent that value. So we were able to get that drill down. Now, what needs to happen that we have not done a great job of is taking all of that and embedding it into the everyday. Mm -hmm. So like getting it more embedded into performance metrics and performance reviews. It's already in interviews, but that's only catching the funnel of people that are coming in, not the people Mm -hmm. that are here. Um, Recognition, right? Like we need to be able to reward and recognize people when they're doing a great job. Demonstrating these behaviors, and we we are not doing that yet. And we like we have to. If we want this to really work, we have to do
1: you guys have such a a great built-in reward system of front row seats. (laughs) I know.
2: Well, those cost a lot of money, but yes, we do, we do. We have that's the thing, right? That's one of the other things about working at a small organization, and you know, um, you mentioned in that article, like we did, we had to start from scratch. And so mm-hmm. part of this is making sure that, you know, you're, what is that saying? Your feet don't get out in front of your skis. Uh, just don't go. Yeah, we, we, don't get we, there's it. so many cool things that we want to do. Yeah. Right. Um, and those things are really exciting and important, but we can't, we have to find the right pace and, um, balance, right. So that we're not moving so quickly that we're forgetting that we have to build a really solid foundation. So like having amazing recognition in the absence of our ability to actually assess people in their core role. Those are two things. It's way more fun to work on the recognition and to say, hey, for doing a great job and service first, we're going to give you a, you're going to ride the Zamboni. Like that, that is way more fun to work on, but What is going to have a greater organizational impact right right out of the gate is our ability to get this embedded in performance. Mm -hmm. Then, then, you know, do a good job in your uh, core role and we can assess
0: that and then we can get you a Zamboni ride.
1: Right. Absolutely, Zamboni ride. Yeah, well, a
0: Question. Yeah, I want to pause there for a second. I mean, first, sign me up for the Zamboni ride because that's definitely on my bucket list <laughs> for sure. So we'll have to stay in contact, Leah. Yeah. And then, secondly, kind of going back a little bit to our conversation around, you know, how frequently should you evaluate your vision, mission, and values? You know, one of the things that was going through my head is just. I think if you do it too frequently, employees start to wonder, like, what is our identity here? You know, there's just a lot of like check the box and then move on, and then you know nothing comes to fruition or it doesn't mean anything to anybody in the organization. And so, when we're talking about change management and communication, I'd like to learn a little bit more from you know you and and kind of your lessons in rolling this out of. You, got, you, you obviously got rid of two of your values, replaced them with two new ones. It sounds like the result of that was through a really solid listening strategy and some prob- probably other conversations that were going on. When you look back at the rollout of sharing, you know, here are our two new values and here's how we're going to incorporate them into the organization and maybe even going as far as to talk about the why behind them. Is there anything else that you think you would have done differently there or any kind of nuggets of information that might be helpful in your learnings to apply to others who are going through the same process right now? Yes. Uh, yes,
2: absolutely. So I think there's a couple things that, um, looking back, I might have, I might have doubled down on the first is, uh, finding some change advocates to bring in. So I would say we ran this, um, from the executive seats, right? Which I don't want to diminish the power of that. The fact that we have a president, an owner, a CFO, and myself, and, and actually our GM on the hockey side was a part of it, which was it's that's very different for us to bridge kind of the hockey player side and the culture that, that our, our GM over there Billy Guerin um is trying to build and align that to the the culture that we're building within our office staff, or we call them the front office staff. That's very, very unique and is powerful. So it is incredibly, I feel just so lucky and blessed that I get to work with such amazing leaders who are, who are focused on the right things. So I don't want to diminish that. That being said, it is different when you're sitting in an executive role and my experience is different and my perspective is going to be different. And so I wish I would have created a group, a change advocate group of loud people who could speak in positive ways behind the scenes. Water, think water cooler talk kind of stuff, right? Hey, I heard this, right? And then also flow some of that buzz back up to us. Because if I, we, I think we did a good job of balancing anonymous Surveys with like listening tours, sitting in a room, um, I mentioned chat sessions, that sort of thing. So I think people, we did get a good cross section of information back from people. But I, I think it, it's a bit different when you engage folks that are boots on the ground and they're in a peer relationship versus a leader relationship. There's some complexity and some challenges there would have been with that. And we didn't do it. But if I had it to do over, I would do that. And I would find a way to bring those people in the loop incredibly early and make sure that they understand the role that they I needed them to play, that it goes two ways. And then that they also understood the confidential nature of the work that we were doing.
1: Mm -hmm. Can Uh, I ask a quick question? The
2: number one thing. Yeah.
1: Really quick on that. Why not do that now and just cheer? You, like you know, like getting the feedback as to hey, I you know I didn't have you when we did this, but we, this is what we did. You know, ha- have yes. you started doing some more of that now?
2: Yes. Okay. yep. Yeah. So we've got a couple different groups that we implemented kind of after the fact. Um, we do what's called a people leader huddle. So anybody that manages any other person, now we gather them once a month and we essentially go through everything that's on the docket. Mm. Here's all of the work that's coming and we get their early insight and feedback. And then we do the same thing, but for that group of, um, kind of part-time arena staff, we meet with them every single week and it's the same focus, right? Like we Mm. want to get in front of you early and often and create uh, a good flow of communication. Uh, But those were implemented after uh, we launched these values. And so I don't know if I would have done it to that degree six months ago, uh, but I certainly would have done something like that. Sure. You saw
1: the value. So that's where you're kind of saying, I wish we would have done it right, right Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Mm
2: -hmm. It is a little scary. I will say doing that um, because You know, when you open up uh, the lines of communication, you have to be willing to hear what people want to say. And when you're recreating a culture and you're aligning on values, the more voices you have, the harder the work gets, because now you're trying to curate and consolidate data that's not in a survey survey data is very easy to concert, you know, cause you can, you can control the questions that you're asking right? and you can get, you can kind of point to people to answers. Like you're not manipulating the answers but you're only asking certain questions. And then you might have a box that's like, what else is on your mind? And you can do what you want with that. When you're creating conversations the conversations kind of go everywhere. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that it is really, really scary to do that. And so I think as a leader, I, I would say I'd have to be really confident in my ability to kind of navigate all the conversations. And then secondly, I'd have to be open to hearing, like you really don't do it unless you really want to hear what people have to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think we, we would have, I think we would have been able to do it. I think we just, for whatever reason we didn't.
1: You also have to really understand if that's how somebody completely feels or if they're having a day, right? Like mm-hmm. at any time I've, I've certainly felt certain ways and slept on it and woke up. I was like, you know, I was being a little dramatic on that aspect. So, I no. mean, you, you do, you right. You got to take an info, but you also have to, yeah. you can't just pivot every time somebody says something.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point too. being able to kind of suss out what is like the real, real, what's the real truth behind it and yeah. what somebody's you know, fleeting opinion versus a staying opinion. And, right. um, and I think as an HR leader, like that's, I feel like that's right. Jess. like, that's what you do every single day. There's not a conversation where you're not assessing for that. Yeah. So I think we're all really good at that, but it is, it is it, this is a big project and it, feels scary to open it up to the world before you're ready to open it up to the world
1: sure if that makes sense yeah it does well i know we're running um out of time i do i want to ask one last question i don't know if i've ever asked this but curious like what what's your next project like you know and and it may not be immediately but like your your kind of vision for the organization like maybe a passion project like what do you want to work on next
2: yeah oh he is gosh, like okay. i'm not
0: really done doing this yet I'm <laughs> yeah i know that's... about the next thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not done. Answer anyways this. no yeah so okay so
2: i'm going to give you like a, a the real answer and then i'm going to give you the dreamer answer because i i do have both right okay. the real answer is like we got to get we got to get hockey going right like At the end of the day, we got to get people back in our facility and we are going, we are doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, It is way more complex than you might think, because I don't know if you guys have heard, but like, there is still a pandemic. And so we are navigating all of the things related to um, bringing and gathering large groups of people back together. And so I will say, you know, in my chat session today, today, I shared this um, and I continue to say it like my team's focus is on ensuring the health and safety of everybody that walks through that door as best we possibly can including our employees, of course. Mm -hmm. And that is a full-time plus job for everyone on my team. But we are driven by that goal because we know the value and the excitement and the joy that sports and music and gathering can bring to people's lives. And so we feel an immense amount of responsibility, um, not just for our organization, but for the community. To be able to navigate this in a really positive way that is uh, respectful and thoughtful and fair and considered. Uh, and so that is the next thing. Now, I think what you asked was more like, what is the fun stuff?
1: Yeah, what's the um, dream? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, other so than when a Stanley Cup, I know that that is the ultimate well, goal, yes. but yeah, well, you know, that's like yeah. your, your passion project over the next, you know, however many years, like what would you love to see and do?
2: Yeah, well, it's not different than winning a Stanley Cup because I think it is part of the reason that we will win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, my team is really passionate about revolutionizing HR. Um, And, you know, we say that in ways never seen before. Right. Mm -hmm. So like that is our goal to revolutionize the business of people in ways that people have never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think we're doing that already in, in the ways that we can with our recruiting efforts and how we're, uh, we have an amazing onboarding slash orientation program that we, uh, as we welcome people into our organization, um, they go through a three-day experience to help them understand our business and help them understand where they're going to be working. And, and who we are and how we want them to be a part of our family. But then it's, it's other things, right? It's man, I am, I find performance reviews to be just so boring and
1: what (laughs) I don't know,
2: like painful, right? Like they're just awful. And I just think, man, like they shouldn't be because this is our opportunity to Inspire people to be their best selves, like truly, you know. Like, I've never met anyone. Well, it's not entirely true. I've maybe met a couple people in my whole life, but for the most part, the vast majority of people don't wake up and say, Gosh, I hope I stink at my job today. I hope I disappoint everyone around me. I hope I do a tear. I hope my work is the worst it's ever been. Right. Like, no, people wake up and they want to do great things. And performance is our opportunity to help them do great things. And yet our process is like, does not make anyone feel like they can do great things. And so it's looking at those things that are so embedded in human resources and saying like, why do we do it that way? And like, there's gotta be a cooler, more fun, more engaging more helpful way of doing it. So everything for us is on the table from recognition. I mean, I shared with you our ideas. You know, I think about like how cool it is for us to innovate in years of service. Because to your point, mm-hmm. Mike, like we have really cool stuff, right? Like giving people yeah. a sweet experience, letting like teaching people to drive the Zamboni. Although, if our Zamboni guy Travis Larson hears this, he's gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> Travis, I'm coming for you. But yeah. learning how to drive the Zamboni, right? Like having Nordy show up at your kid's party. Like there are just so many fun things that we can do to recreate experiences here and not make them boring. And we don't want to be a boring HR team. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know how to be a boring HR team. And so I am so looking forward to being able to start to dream and create and build in a way that truly makes people excited and, and empowered and feel like they are contributing in a really impactful, positive way. Mm-hmm. So that's and what I, I want
1: to be. That's awesome. I love that answer. I love the onboarding the three days. I, you know, they're in, in my world... You know, I, I'm with HR technology. I talk to a lot of people and, and when I hear onboarding, it's a system and it's how fast can we get them from like yeah. the day they walk into production and it takes right. that time, right? We talked about that for so long. How do we cut down a full day of orientation into two hours so that they can get to work? And I love the fact where it's like, hey, these people are going to be with you for a long time. Like those first few days, that first week matters, and you guys take that seriously. And for the first three days, you put them in this immersive, immersive experience. Yeah, um, very cool. Well, Leah, thank cool. you so much. This was this was awesome. How can people get a hold of you if they want to chat more about the wild or just HR revolutionizing HR in general?
2: Yeah, I would love to hear from folks. Yeah, so obviously you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, We are hiring, of course. So, um, yep, you let us know if you see something. For what?
1: Yeah, so put the plug in.
2: Yeah, oh, okay. So (laughs) we have a lot of openings, um, both full-time, part-time. So if you, like a college kid, I mean, what a cool gig, right? You get to come stand in the aisle while uh, Harry Styles is playing, or Guns N' Roses, or the Eagles, the Wild Game. So we're hiring for part-time, all different part-time positions, game day positions, Uh, And then also we have a number of full-time positions that are posted out on uh, both LinkedIn and our site marketing positions, just wrapped up by HR position, finance position. So uh, they will keep coming. Uh, That's the exciting thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. we are in a time of rebuilding and of growth and of kind of innovation and dreaming. And so it is a really, really cool place to be as we think about what the future of sport looks like and how it's not going to just be how many people can we pack into the arena, but instead, how can we engage in a really meaningful way with people who love the wild? Because we mm-hmm. want everyone to be a part of our um, best team in sports.
1: Absolutely. Well, good luck this season. Thank Go you. get Krill signed, please, yes. for all the fans. And again, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on.
0: Yeah, it's really my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcshrm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, Please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.